Garrison Hardy with your Cross Politic Daily News Brief for Thursday, February 23rd, 2023. If you're a fan of Cross Politic or the Fight Laugh Feast Network, then surely you know we have a merch store, right? Rowdy Christian Merch is your one-stop shop for everything cross-politic merchandise. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, hats, but we've also got specialty items like backpacks, mugs, coffee, even AirPod cases. Visit Rowdy Christian Merch at RowdyChristian.com and buy that next gift or a little something for yourself. Again, that's RowdyChristian.com, and we appreciate your support. Biden and men looking to remove religious student groups' protections on campus. The Department of Education, or the DOE, announced a proposal Tuesday rescinding a Trump-era policy that prohibited universities from receiving federal funding if they restricted religious student group activities. The 2020 policy, initially signed by former President Donald Trump as part of an executive order in 2019, was proposed to prevent universities from censoring the speech of religious students on campus, according to the Washington Post. The DEO's recent announcement indicates that President Joe Biden is looking to end the policy, claiming the protections caused an unduly burdensome role for the department. The department believes it is not necessary in order to protect the First Amendment right to free speech and free exercise of religion, given existing legal protections. It has caused confusion about schools' non-discrimination requirements, and it prescribed a novel and unduly burdensome role for the department in investigating allegations regarding public institutions' treatment of religious student organizations. That's according to the announcement. It continues, We have not seen evidence that the regulation has provided meaningfully increased protection for religious student organizations beyond the robust First Amendment protections that already exist, much less that it has been necessary to ensure they are able to organize and operate on campus. The announcement came from Nassar H. Pater, Pater, we'll go with that, Assistant Secretary of Post-Secondary Education, who explained that since September 2021, the DOE has been looking into current policies regarding the First Amendment that impose additional requirements on its higher education institutional grant recipients. Pater noted that during that time, the DOE determined that the 2020 policy had placed a burden on the higher education systems and did not provide any meaningfully increased protection for religious student organizations. In 2020, former Education Secretary Betsy Devos told Washington Post that the rule protects religious students from being forced to choose between their faith and their education and would also protect religious universities from being turned away for federal funding because of their religious affiliation. Public comment phase will begin on Wednesday, February 22nd and remain open for 30 days for anyone to comment and provide their thoughts on the proposal according to the announcement. And that's why you should send your kids to New St. Andrews College. I digress. A legislature in Alaska caused outrage after questioning whether the death of child abuse victims could could be a cost savings because it would mean they don't need government services later in life. That came from Republican David Eastman, who sits in the Alaska House of Representatives and made the comment on Monday during a House Judiciary Committee hearing. The committee was meeting to discuss how children are impacted by physical or sexual abuse, as well as witnessing domestic violence within their family home. Lawmakers were shown a study indicating each incident of fatal child abuse 
cost society $1.5 million, a figure reached by assessing the impact of trauma and the child's loss of earnings over a lifetime. However, Eastman was unimpressed and questioned whether fatal child abuse could be economically beneficial to wider society, an argument he claimed to have heard. Eastman said, quote, it can be argued periodically that this is actually a cost savings because that child is not going to need any of those government services that they might otherwise be entitled to receive and need based on growing up in this type of environment, end quote. The remark horrified Trevor Storrs, president of the Alaska Children's Trust, or ACT, who hit back describing the loss of a child as unmeasurable. Democratic Representative Cliff Grow, who used to work as a prosecutor covering child abuse allegations, said he was disturbed by East. Eastman's comment. Representative Sarah Vance, the Republican who claims the House Judiciary Committee, said Eastman, who doesn't serve on any committees, has been at the hearing at my invitation. Vance later suggested Eastman had been trying to make an argument against abortion, which some consider to be child abuse, which... Well, it is. Speaking on the Anchorage Daily News via text message, Eastman said, quote, I was pleased to hear ACT advocating against child abuse, but a child's value comes not from future productivity, but from the fact that every child is made in the image of God, end quote. Let's go from Alaska to Seattle, just south. Seattle reverses course on defunding police as crime ravages locals, a huge crisis. Seattle residents Victoria Beach, Eli Hosier, and Jonathan Cho said police shortages have left their city in dire straits in the aftermath of officials' anti-law enforcement rhetoric. Homicides skyrocketed by 24%, while motor vehicle thefts climbed to 30%. In the last year, overall, crime ticked up by 4%. Mayor Bruce Harrell pushed for increased police presence to curb the issue Tuesday, saying, quote, we need immediate action and innovation to respond to our public safety issues. Seattle saw a 4% rise in reported crime last year. We need more officers to address our staffing crisis, end quote. Still, some residents' outlook is less optimistic. Pyro reported that data from Seattle's city budget office showing funding for law enforcement increased for the first time since a major slash was made in 2020. Hosher, a resident, says the uptick is not enough to reduce crime. Quote, the crime is just getting worse and worse, he said. There's a homeless encampment that's right next to my son's school that's been there for over a year, and it's doubled and tripled in size. Cho, a reporter from the area, slammed the defund the police movement for being behind the crime as well the crime rise as well as the woke activist class who he said are perpetuating the problem he added that seeing how the defund the police supporters respond to Harold's push for more police than the uptick in funding for the department should be interesting and let's stay in Seattle for this one. Seattle forced to pay $3.6 million in 2020 Chaz damages for business owners. The city of Seattle has agreed to pay $3,650,000 in damages to business owners who brought suit after the deadly 2020 Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, or Chaz, that damaged their businesses, property, and violated their constitutional rights. The group had originally been seeking $2.9 million. The city has until March 3rd to pay the sum as part of a settlement revealed last week. According to court filings regarding the settlement, $600,000 will go towards attorney fees for the more than a dozen plaintiffs. The settlement came just weeks after a federal judge imposed sanctions against the city for deleting thousands of text messages between Seattle officials, including former Mayor Jenny Durkin, former police chief Carmen Best, 
and Fire Chief Harold Scoggins during the armed occupation by Antifa and BLM, BLM rioters of a six square blocks of Capitol Hill neighborhood. The CHAZ, also known as Capitol Hill Occupied Protest, or CHOP, was established by activists on June 8, 2020, after Seattle police were ordered by police leadership to abandon the department's east precincts during the riots that rocked the Emerald City in the wake of the death of George Floyd. Floyd died in the police custody in Minneapolis, Minnesota, on May 25, 2020. A video of his death emerged, setting off months of riots in the midst of a pandemic. The CHAZ, also known as the Capitol Hill Occupied Protest, or CHOP, was established by activists on June 8, 2020, after Seattle police were ordered by police leadership to abandon the department's east precinct during the riots that rocked the Emerald City in the wake of the death of George Floyd. Floyd died in police custody in Minneapolis, Minnesota on May 25, 2020. Video of his death emerged, setting off months of riots in the midst of a pandemic. Governor, I'd like to ask you about what's going on in Seattle. There's this uh, thing called the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. What's your thought on that? The fact that the protesters have taken that over and not allowing people to come and go freely? And then regarding the National Guard. Well, that's news to me, so I'll have to reserve any comment about it. I, I have not I have not heard anything about that from any credible source. <laughs> not that you're not credible. It's just like before I espouse an opinion, I should know of which I speak. <laughs> Casey mentioned the follow-up. Yeah, as far as the National Guard, uh, how long are you going to keep them there? And would, if there is a, a takeover of a street in Seattle where they're barricading keeping people out, the protesters are, would you want to be involved? You know, that's a hypothetical. Look, we've got to have safety. I'm sure that people will find a way to have public safety everywhere in the state. I'm confident of that. Uh, The the National Guard is demobilizing. Over two-thirds of them were demobilized of yesterday. I don't know if they're completely demobilized at this point or not, but if not, that'll be shortly, I believe. Zone occupiers refuse to allow police into the area. Rapes, robberies, and murders spiked 200 in 50% in the six-block area during the occupation. The zone lasted three weeks before it was finally broken up by police on July 1st, 2020, after two fatal shootings and rioters vandalized then-Mayor Durkin's home. I, I want to just get a clear sense of, of this, though, uh, Mayor. Uh, why do you believe the president chose to talk about domination? Uh, in the face of what's happening, not just in your city, but in many instances when it comes to what the remedy is uh, for the unrest in the country right now. What do you think this is about for him? I think it shows a complete lack of understanding of why people are in the street. They're in the street fighting a system of domination, and he doesn't understand that. And his response is always one that's bellicose and militaristic, but he doesn't honor the military in that way either, as you've seen from the line of generals that have disputed him. So I think he says dominate because he is totally does not understand what is happening in America. And he is desperately trying to start the old fights and the old divisions that put him in power in the first place. How long do you think Seattle and those few blocks looks like this? 
I don't know. We could have the summer of love. According to court documents, business owners allege that city officials' unprecedented decision to abandon and close off the 16-block section of the neighborhood subjected businesses, employees, and residents to extensive property damage, public safety dangers, and an inability to use and access their properties. It was revealed after the occupation that Seattle officials, including former Mayor Jenny Durkin, former Police Chief Carmen Best, and Fire Chief Harold Scoggins, deleted thousands of text messages from their city-owned phones, regarding the zone, including communications with the infamous warlord of the autonomous zone, Raz Simone. U.S. D- District Judge Thomas Zilli previously sanctioned the city and thereby allowed the jury to view the missing evidence as a strike against the city in the case. Zilli wrote, quote, City officials deleted thousands of text messages from their city-owned phones in complete disregard of their legal obligation to preserve relevant evidence. Further, the city significantly delayed disclosing that thousands of text messages had been deleted and could not be reproduced or recovered. Elsewhere, NPR to cut workforce by 10% as advertising slowdown hits public media. Our financial outlook has darkened considerably over recent weeks. That was the CEO, Lansing, uh, wrote in a memo to staff on Wednesday. At a time when we are doing some of our most ambitious and essential work, the global economy remains uncertain. As a result, the ad industry has weakened and we are grappling with a sharp decline in our revenues from corporate sponsors. We had created a plan to address $20 million sponsorship fall off by fiscal year 23, but we are now projecting at least a $30 million shortfall. The cuts we have already made to our budget will not be enough. So Lansing says that most of NPR's open jobs will also be eliminated and that will be reducing its existing workforce by 10%. More than 700 employees work at the public media firm. Lansing also suggests that the necessary job cuts will result in a more refined mission for NPR as an organization, writing that some work will need to change or stop entirely. Now, NPR's executive committee is figuring out where it needs to continue investing and where it should pull back. Some of NPR's most popular programs on both terrestrial radio and podcast form include Fresh Air, Planet Money, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and Up First. It also has a sizable news division that produces journalism that runs across its programming. Jesus is Lord in public and in private. Every area of life must be subject to his lordship, and our use of technology is no exception. What captures our attention on the screen either glorifies or dishonors our Lord. That's why accountable... To You is committed to promoting biblical accountability in our families and churches. Their monitoring and reporting software makes transparency easy on all your devices, so you can say with the psalmist, I will not set anything worthless before my eyes. Guard against temptation with Accountable to You and live for God's glory. Learn more and try it for free at accountabletoyou.com slash FLF. That's accountable, the number two, u.com slash FLF. Former NFL player Eric Johnson, among eight people arrested for human trafficking and gang charges. Johnson, aged 46, played in the league from 2000 to 2005 with the Oakland Raiders, Atlanta Falcons, and Arizona Cardinals. He's now part of an apparent trafficking ring that stands accused of multiple acts involving four adult women and one female minor. Georgia Attorney General Chris Carr says the Lotto gang members, including Johnson, are facing charges of trafficking of persons for sexual servitude, violation of the Street Gang Terrorism and Prevention Act, conspiracy to violate the RICO, Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, aggravated assault, and kidnapping. 
Developing now, a former Atlanta Falcon indicted in a major human trafficking bust in Gwinnett County that also has ties to some of the biggest gangs in the country. 11 Alive's John Sherrick has the story. It is a 96-count indictment issued by a Gwinnett County grand jury charging eight people, seven of them shown here, with trafficking women for sexual servitude, terrorism, kidnapping, aggravated assault, gang activity, racketeering. One of the accused, Eric Johnson. Georgia's attorney general, the prosecutor in this case, calls Johnson one of the three leaders of the so-called Lotto Gang, orchestrating violent crimes with the others. Eric Johnson, a former pro football player, he began his NFL career with the Oakland Raiders in 2000 and in Super Bowl 37 in 2003. Johnson on defense recovered a block punt and ran for a touchdown. Johnson then played one season for the Atlanta Falcons and one more for the Arizona Cardinals. Now just one of the accusations in this indictment against Johnson is that he, along with others in the gang, trafficked an underage teenage girl for sex. The indictment's only the latest in the anti-human trafficking and anti-gang war led by Georgia Attorney General Chris Carr and Governor Brian Kemp, aimed at preventing gangs from recruiting and exploiting children and aimed at rescuing children kidnapped and forced into human trafficking. Since July, 15 indictments across the state targeting 58 defendants so far. In Atlanta, John Shearick, 11 Live News. While he's certainly not a household name by any means, Eric Johnson is known for one significant moment in NFL history where he scored a touchdown in the Raiders' 48-21 loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers back in an early 2000 Super Bowl iteration. He blocked a punt and then returned it for 13 yards and the score, and now he is facing some serious jail time. That's going to do it for this Cross Politic Daily News Brief. If you like the show, go ahead and hit that share button for me down below. If you want to sign up for a club membership, a magazine subscription, or the Ark Encounter this year, October 11th through the 14th, head on over to FightLaughFeast.com. And as always, if you want to send me a news story, if you want to ask about our conference this year at the Ark Encounter, or if you want to become a corporate partner of Cross Politic, email me at Garrison at FightLaughFeast.com. For Cross Politic News, I'm Garrison Hardy. Have a great rest of your day, and Lord bless.